Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's guest host is Rachel Eddy. They graciously agreed to interview me for this Get Up in the Cool's 200th episode. We recorded this via Skype recently, and I recorded my musical parts afterwards. I want to thank Get Up in the Cool's newest Patreon supporters, Josh Cothran and Devin Flaherty. Thank you. Your support means so much, especially right now. And thank you to everyone who supported the show in any way these last four years and 200 episodes. I'm so glad I get to make Get Up in the Cool. It's a dream job, and it's all because of you. Thank you. Before we get started, Rachel and I are both playing Porch Pride, a Bluegrass Pride Queer and Teen Festival on June 27th and 28th. This Saturday and Sunday, we're both playing on Saturday. The best way to watch is on the Bluegrass Pride Facebook page, YouTube channel, or website, so you can see the whole bill, but you can also watch on our individual Facebook pages. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with this week's guest, host. Here's my interview and jam with Rachel Eddy. Enjoy. Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, nice. Yes. <laughs> Sweet. Hi, uh, Cameron. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Get Up in the Cool. You are oh, show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really uh, honored to, that you asked me to host and interview for your 200th episode. Congratulations on that. I'm honored that you would do it. Thank you. Yeah, I was honored that you asked me. There are lots and lots of people you could have invited for this, and um, I'm happy to to have that conversation, you know, four years into it. I'm sure a lot happens in four years, right? Not just with, with your life, but like all the people's lives who you've interviewed. This is my second appearance on Get Up in the Cool. Yes. And a lot has changed in my life since we yes. had that first meeting. And I know a lot's changed in yours too. So it's really, um, I'm touched that I was the person you chose for this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I'd also like to say happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month to you as well. So can I start by asking you why you chose me for this episode? Yes. Uh, well, um, one one thing that's neat, uh, one thing that's neat about this strange time that we're in, specifically in regards to the pandemic, is that... Um, we are because everyone is isolated in their own homes uh it means that everyone's sort of on an equal like i could connect with the person the town over basically just as easy as uh i can connect with someone in in west virginia <laughs> so like there is an automatic just sort of like opening up of possibilities for this interview um but kind of more germane to like a thing we're going to be talking about for probably a lot of this episode is you came out very late in life and in your life. And I also have, um, and I've been seeking out queer mentorship, uh, specifically in the old time community, because it's the first, um, community that I've really been a part of, um, that's not church. Mm-hmm. And uh, and therefore, it's the first community that I've been a part of that really has like a decent amount of, of queer folks who are out and um, being queer in public. And yeah, I've been I've been reaching out to a lot of uh, people to sort of like mentor me. But often, what that ends up looking like is uh, gay men who are are often younger than I am, which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But it's totally still like a very valid mentorship because they've been out and gay a lot longer than I've been out and queer. Um, and so in that way, they are older and wiser than me. Um, but I have been wanting to, in general, connect with uh, different kinds of queer folks um, and using that as a point of connection with, uh, um, not just, uh, cis gay men. And, uh, specifically you, you reached out to me, um, at Clifftop last year and you just asked me a lot of like really personal questions. (laughs) You already (laughs) interviewed me and, uh, you asked me a lot of like pretty intense personal questions. And I was like on, an empty stomach. Like I like I woke up super late and I was like, uh, just super hungry and just already super like vulnerable and raw from being halfway into cliff top. And, uh, but so it could have gone really badly, but you were like, (laughs) 
if you were any if you were anyone else uh but you are you are so caring and hospitable in uh in the way that you communicate and that's something i've known about you for a long time and that you just made me feel really comfortable and in our off mic interview last year at clifftop uh you really got my brain going on my own identity um, in terms of uh, my sexual orientation and and gender. So, yeah, and and it's still I'm still coasting on that. It's <laughs> wonderful. I I think that I since I've met you the very first time I met you, I recognize something in you is you know not what people try to put into the box. Um, I've always found it really easy to just talk to you and um, you're a safe person to to talk to um, and you're an ally to so many people in so many ways that um, yeah I saw something in you that I, I think I've been reconciling with my own self too so mm. um, though I do remember that conversation as being like a very mutually caring and um, meaningful chat and I was glad that you were, you know, I was happy to feed you and I was really glad that you opened up and, and reached out, you know, just more recently to, to say that that had left an impact because I, I also don't, um, I don't find that inside the old time community, I, I have had so many mentors in, in terms of coming out, you know, yes. because like you said, you know, a lot of people are younger. The ones who are out now are younger yes. and um, I'm almost 40 and I can't actually recall I, I don't recall representation mm. in the old time community for queer people when I was younger and so now it it's, it's wonderful to see like there are so many out there and, and it feels more inclusive and it feels safer to be out um, and coming yeah. out later has has definitely like I, I don't think 20 years ago it would have been as easy for me to come out yeah. so how long have you it's been a while since I interviewed you. Will you remind me how long have you been in the old, would you say you've been in the old time community at large? I know that you like grew up playing this music. Right. Right. And I, I didn't um, discover the old time community at large until I had been at it for about 10 years. So I would say maybe 20 years or so yeah, I okay. have, I've been a part of the community, you know, since I was 18 or 19 found Clifftop. Well, that was kind of the thing that opened my world up. Was the increased representation of queer people in the old time community part of your coming out experience? Um, only in their support of it. You know, I mean, it was I was immediately yeah. like wrapped up in, in all that love. And um, some of the people inside our community were the first that I did come out to. Um, but I, I can't say that my coming out or the, I, I should say the delay of my coming out had anything to do with um, the representation being there now. I I just think for a very long time, I didn't... Um, it's a scary kind of thing to, to look at oneself. And I think I identified so much of my life like as a musician, I didn't take the time to really kind of analyze my sexuality or my gender alongside of that um, and particularly because there was no representation there wasn't someone I could look at and say that's me 
You know, I see myself yeah. in these people and I, I just was so steeped in the community and, and really just saw a lot of people much older than me. Um, lots of cis het people that, um, were lovely and, and great friends and dear to me as they are, but not that representation of, of really queerness and old time music and what that could look like. Yeah. Hmm. And for you, um, has, has it made a difference in, in you being able to come out now to have that representation? Yeah. I mean, I've thought a lot about, uh, why I fell on, in love with old time music when I did. Um, because I, I was into it for about like a year, a year and a half before I went to Clifftop for the first time. And during that time, I my main kind of musical outlet, outlet was as a songwriter. And um, I was kind of like begrudgingly getting into playing traditional music because it was like, okay, well, this is something that some people around me are interested in doing, like a few select people. And maybe it's a, a way that I can get better at banjo and, you know, but I wasn't necessarily like totally sold on like really pursuing it as a, as a passion. Um, until, yeah, until I went to Clifftop and there is one evening, uh, where I had this all night jam. Uh, and it was like the first, like real, just sort of like cross a, like medium sized jam with all my peers and uh, yeah, people around my age. And I remember being like, wow, this is really, really special. Um, this isn't something I can necessarily get in like a songwriting community if I could even build one. Um, uh, and that has, that had been my narrative before that it was about, it was about connecting with people. And I think, that is still the narrative. But the, the other thing about that clifftop experience is that's when I met, uh, Scotty Leach and he, he was in that jam and that's when we first started hanging out and playing tunes. And I, I was so sheltered from queer people, uh, growing up in a, not the most conservative Christian church, but like it was, you know, it was a Christian church right, and, right. you know, there were some queer people there, but they eventually left cause they felt bullied and like, you know, and like it wasn't sustainable for them. And, um, yeah, any queer folks that I had, uh, weren't people who were like, I didn't have, here's what I was missing. I, I didn't have representation of, of allyship and I didn't have representation of people liking queer people, which I think is another thing. It's not just having queer people that you like. It's having queer people and non queer people who, uh, like and respect those people and can like, you know, I think people need to be taught how to like things just like old time music, you know, it's like the whole, the whole, it's better than it sounds kind of thing. You know, it's <laughs> you know, like, uh, it's like, it's at a certain level, it's almost like nothing is inherently, it, we can't see the inherent beauty or value in things until we see other people enjoying them. Um, so there, there's a lot of things there. Anyway, all that is to say, I didn't even know that Scotty is gay at that point. And that's miraculous. It is. It, it's, 
he is he is probably probably the most like you know c- c- uh, cis gay male like like most gay coded person that I know um, mm-hmm. and <laughs> the idea that I didn't it didn't even occur to me until like later on that that he was gay uh, it to, today is ridiculous it but is. it's because I was so sheltered <laughs> and it. I was so separated from those folks and but what I wasn't but I wasn't distracted by like those ideas about like like homophobia because I was so sheltered, and I was able to just like really hang out with him and um, and be like, wow, this person has some kind of energy that I really really connect with, and that like means a lot to me. And then shortly after, I met Bach Bowie, um, who is another one of my uh, dearest friends in the old time community and in my queer community. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that he was gay either. Um, still pretty obvious. <laughs> not not as as Scotty, just because of his coding, you know. But uh, and I remember there's this there's this one day um, where I like woke up and I got out of my tent and it was like late in the week. And I was just like. I realized that I was wandering around Clifftop, like looking for Scotty and looking for Bach and feeling like really like kind of like upset and kind of sad and lonely because like I had made this connection that I didn't really understand. Um, and I was like, these are, these are my people. Right. Uh, I need to like see these people again. And like I had, I had heard that they like went to the uh, waterfall uh, to, to, or to the, to, to the Creek. And so I like, I walked there by myself and I ended up just sort of like walking for hours. Um, like I think in some part, like looking for them, hoping to run into them, but also just sort of being by myself and sort of sitting in this thing that I couldn't really label, which is like, I have figured out something about myself and I don't know what it is and I need some sort of like solitude about it. And I, and I just sort of like, yeah, it was, I, I don't know. I must've walked around for three or four hours. I went all the way to the state park, the other state park. And like, yeah, it was just like a, <laughs> I didn't come to any conclusions at that point. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like that cliff top was really transformative for me. And for because of that now looking back on it i say i i fell in love with old time music because i was exposed to queerness at the same time wow and so for for me they're sort of imprinted on each other and i love playing old time music with straight folks and i've had some really really lovely experiences but like i would say in in my heart, like those two things are pretty inseparable for me at the end of the day. Like, yeah. That's incredibly amazing. I, I wouldn't, I, you might be the only person who's had that experience of old time Maybe. queerness together. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I, I certainly didn't have anything close to that experience. It's been quite the opposite, in fact. And I, that's a beautiful story that they're interconnected for you. 
I think my first really moving queer experience in the old time community was only last year at Clifftop. It was my mm. it was my first year being out at Clifftop, and yeah, uh, my spouse Emily and I decided to host a rainbow jam to just invite all LGBTQ people in. And just to see who showed up, you know, we kind of put out word of mouth, just told a few of the friends. And it was the most magical experience to see all these people showing up at the appointed time Mm. and and allies spinning rainbow umbrellas outside the tent while we jammed. And it was such an amazing, um, moving, safe space that that I noticed how many people... um, I had not noticed before, you know, and I, I think in, if given yeah. that opportunity to, to have a, a welcoming and a safe space to be oneself, it makes it a lot easier to be oneself. Um, and it sounds like the old time community always was kind of that space for you. And that's amazing. I'm, I'm so excited actually to know that 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 exists. Yeah. I mean, yeah, whether I, whether it was <laughs> cultivated or not intentionally that 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 space, you know, was was open to you. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think it sort of took someone inviting me in and it wasn't, you know, they weren't like, hey, do you want to be queer with us uh, explicitly? But implicitly it was that, you know, like, you know, like it was and and also (laughs) there's been so many people (laughs) after I've come out who are just like, oh, yeah, I totally uh, assumed that you were queer or even assumed that you were specifically gay. Um, because I am, I am attracted to, um, cisgendered women, um, as well as hypothetically anybody else, but I'm not, I'm not attracted to that many people, (laughs) just period. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that's, that's a thing to establish. It's just, it's not like I'm like looking around and being like, wow, I I could fall in love with any of these people, you know, but, um, It's it's more like the people who I have connections with um, that if that if I were in a in a in a non monogamous uh, closed uh, if I weren't in a closed monogamous relationship like I could see myself having that kind of connection with a very small amount of people of a very large spectrum of genders. Got it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. Uh, um, oh, I was saying people people have said to me, oh, yeah, I assumed you were gay. I assumed you were queer. Uh, and it just keeps happening. It's like, it's like, why didn't anyone tell me that I was <laughs> that I was queer? And I guess it's respectful of my agency that they didn't. And it's probably better, you know, but it's it's funny, like looking back. Um, yeah. And and hearing all of these people who kind of started figuring it out before I did. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I don't, did you, did you experience any, oh any of that? <laughs> I, I kind of lost count of the amount of times I heard, well, that was the best kept secret in old time music. You know, everyone knew, but you, Rachel. And I was like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even my sister, when I came out to her, she looked at me, she's like, duh. Yeah. And I was like, wow. I mean, it's interesting because I have always known that I I am also attracted to a spectrum of of people um, yeah. and and the genders that they identify with and I I never had put a label on it. Um and I realize now like 
my sexuality and my gender are two separate things that I have to deal with. And so I'm certain that in my mind, it got all muddled in there. And I just couldn't. It really took developing the language to separate sexuality from gender for me to, you know, put any sort of label on it if if I decide to do that at all. Um, Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, obviously, I'm still me. I mean, that that doesn't change. And maybe that's one of the things about coming out later in life that this interesting um, from the perspective that it doesn't actually change who I am. Yeah. The person I'm with, I don't, you know, I I don't love them uh, more or less because of their gender either. Right. Like I just, I love this person that I'm with more than anything I could ever imagine. And, um, and their gender and my gender and our uh, sexuality seems almost irrelevant. But that being said, it is important to people to have labels Yes. You know, and um, yeah, I guess I'm still kind of like working through what that means for me too, because I have always identified as a musician and as a, <laughs> as a community builder and as a teacher yeah. and as, you know, a number of different things that were not related to my gender or my sexuality. So, you know, having that kind of be a public conversation is, uh, it's, it's a new new territory i'm sure for you as well and um i was going to ask you know why now um some years after that famed clifftop experience uh have you made that decision to to come forth can we play another tune oh yeah Uh, because i keep forgetting that i'm having this lovely conversation with you i keep forgetting that people like listen to the show to hear all time music Uh, Uh, we should probably do another one first (laughs) and then i will absolutely answer that i i could talk to you all day cameron you're actually one of my favorite people to talk to so lovely um how about the let's say our armstrong's patty on the turnpike oh great yes
Yes. <laughs> that is a beautiful that tune. One in a while. That so is such great. a beautiful tune. I love it. So why now, after so many years since that famed night at Clifftop, have you yes. decided to come out? Uh, so I think it took a while to figure out that what I mean, there's <laughs> there's a, there was a lot of obstacles to where I am now um, to to overcome. Um, one is uh, the way the way that I was raised in um, like Christian culture and specifically Christian monogamy. Um, it really, it really emphasizes, um, some kind of toxic codependence, um, that I think I was especially, um, uh, susceptible to as a person who got, uh, together with, um, their wife as a, as a 19 year old. I mean, we, wow. we, we married at 21, but like we we met when we were 17 and like got together when we were 19 and been together ever since. And, uh, so I think, um, I was taught to like in general repress attraction and to not name it. And if you have to name it, name it as like sort of temptation and not as, (laughs) you know, like an actual kind of connection that can be like looked at and, maybe not taken too seriously and is safe, you know? And I think it just took me a while to accept the idea that I was attracted to anyone else ever because I was taught to uh, squash that stuff down because... Right, by all means, keep it to yourself, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because um, having attraction to other uh, people in in the way that I was raised to think about marriage in like a Christian context is this like really dangerous thing. And like some people specifically said, like, this is like the devil, like trying to like corrupt your family and things like that. And like, I didn't necessarily explicitly believe in all of those things, but I think I, I had internalized a lot of just fear of, I get to be in my own body I get to experience my own things and I get to choose what to do about those things. And also, um, if you demystify um, or de-taboo, if I, <laughs> uh, attraction, uh, sexual attraction, then um, you can realize that uh, sexual attraction is a thing that happens between it happens all the time and it, in, right. it infiltrates so many uh, different kinds of relationships. And it's a, it's more of an energy that is present as opposed to it, like a thing that you can um, pray away or something, you right. know, or like, a thing that you must act on. Exactly. So like it took me figuring that out and then it was a few more steps before figuring out like, and well, maybe I'm also attracted to men. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And that, <laughs> that was, that was, that was a lot harder to figure out. Um, and to s- sort of like label, like, I don't know, to realize in myself, like, you know what, I'm acting the way like around this person that I act like this man, the way that it's the same way that I act around, like, 
that I acted around like uh, girls in high school that I had crushes on. Like this yeah. is the same thing, and I have to like acknowledge that I was in uh, <laughs> I was in Australia on tour um, about a year and a half ago, and um, I met uh, I would say almost no queer men as far as I could tell maybe like queer I guess the old time and trad scene in Australia is already like a bit smaller and a little a little bit different and maybe it can't have its own little sort of sub cultures within it in the same way I don't know. Um, I hope not to erase any uh, queer men who play like old time music in Australia by saying that. It's just my own anecdotal experience. Um, so I was just like not having any sort of like interactions with queer men. I met a lot of really lovely um, people who I assumed to be straight men um, and connected a lot uh, with with them. But they're there is this one guy who I will not be named, but he, I met, I met him at this, like at at a festival. I'm not even going to get super specific. I met him at a festival and then he kept like showing up at other events and at like private parties that I was at. And like, it ended up, he was like on sort of a parallel ish tour to me. And there was this like one barbecue where, um, I just found myself like I would just enter the room where he was and then I would just like leave that area and be like, and then I just kept doing that. And I was like, why the fuck am I acting this way? <laughs> <laughs> I'm acting like a crazy person right now. Like, And then it, it like, and it took a long time for me to figure and like looking back on it, I was like, oh yeah, I, this is like a. I was I was having like a juvenile sort of like lost for words kind of crush on this on this man. And right. like, I didn't have the language to, de- <laughs> to figure out that kind of thing. Um, and I do now. And like, looking back on it, it's just like so obvious. Um, but, uh, and I don't even know if, well, he seemed, I'm pretty sure he's queer. He did. We didn't talk about that, but there is that, you know, burgeoning gaydar. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, it's more, more powerful than it used to be, uh, seven or eight years ago when I was at Clifftop for the first time. Anyway. Um, so I think it, yeah, it took a while for me to just like figure out that I have same sex attraction still why come out at all when I could just pass for straight and not deal with it, or maybe just like individually come out to people. Um, I had a lot of conversations specifically, with Jake Blunt, um, who, yeah, really helped me out, uh, with some of my ideas about this stuff. Like me, one thing I was worried about, um, is taking up too much space because interesting. I, I already take up a lot of space in a lot of the places that I inhabit, huh. um, as like a public figure in the old time community, um, as as a man, as a white person, um, got it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Got it, um, yeah. So it's like something I try to like keep myself in check, and I'm like, you know, I was, I'm afraid of one, the in- the instinct in myself uh, that I've been told all my life. Well, you should take up as much space as possible, and I I try to 
I mean, honestly, I try to repress that because sometimes I think that's helpful specifically. Um, and then I also try to like correct those instincts in myself and turn them into other instincts. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I didn't have the, like the idea that like my queerness could be, could be valid, um, as a person in a heterosexual, uh, closed partnership. Right. Um, I didn't understand that. I thought that I would just be taking attention away from more marginalized people, people who cannot pass or will not pass. Um, and I was concerned about that. I was t talking to Jake about it and he was like, he was just like, we don't care. Come out if you want. You're what we'd love to have you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And then, right. uh, yeah. So that was like really helpful. He also posted this article that was about, um, queerness in children and how queerness is often erased in children because most people associate um, same-sex attraction or anything other than like normative sexual attraction or gender expressions. Like people associate that with sex and people don't like associating sex with children. Right. It upsets people. It does as it should. Right. <laughs> Which I mean, but at the same time, that's a whole other thing we have to talk about, about like sexuality in children and like their development and how, you know, how can we better uh, foster environments where they get to figure that stuff out? Too, well, right. And I, I, and I don't think that people necessarily have any problem at all saying, oh, Tommy, is it, Tommy's like, Susie, are you guys, is that your girlfriend? You know, yeah, people sexualize little kids all the time. And then, <laughs> you know, kind of straight ways, they're like, oh, look at them playing together. They're two years old. They must be yeah. boyfriend, girlfriend. And I'm like, that, you know. Right. So I, I do think that that anything other than that norm is completely erased. You never yes. see Tommy and Bobby in the sandbox and say, oh, look, they're boyfriends. They right. just don't they don't allow that space. I've never and heard that. Maybe I will someday. But like, I've <laughs> never heard that. I have hopes. You know, I, I do yeah. have I have a great, great hope that um, as it as the world evolves and people evolve, you know, I mean, just yesterday, Supreme Court ruled on finally granting, you know, protections, discrimination protection for LGBTQ people. And I, I think, like, yeah. how is it that, that that just happened yesterday, right? Yeah. And then I think about my, you know, my own struggles in, in coming out. And I I would say one of the things that was missing is representation. Two, the two is language. And, you know, you, you were yes. talking about, it's like, finding language to, to express... Um, how you are and who you are and how you fit within a space. And that language has not been accessible always. Um, you know, yes. the internet has provided this like amazing plethora of, of links where we can all find the language we need. And it, it took that for me. I mean, I had this, um, I had this teaching experience about three years ago where um, I had a workshop and um, I said, how rare to have it was like 15 people you know and i said how rare to have a group that is only women that's really something to celebrate you know in this kind of male dominated world right and this this kid it was like the young person in the room the teenager the 14 or 15 year old kid um started shaking and and raised their hand and said I, i'm a boy I, i'm trans yeah. boy and i just yeah. thought like and and then started crying 
And oh uh, no! And it was like, I mean, it was kind of this beautiful moment where all of the moms in the room were just like, "It's okay, honey. It's you know, like." But that kid just came out to a room full of people. Yes. And their grandfather had been sitting there too, and I think that was what horrified them the most. But they just so so much wanted to be seen. Mm. And that goes down in my history books as one of the most powerful moments in a workshop. <laughs> yes. Because I just thought like the bravery of that kid and and what it took to stand up and, and say who you are. Um, even as you're trying to figure it out yourself. Yeah. And, and that, that was definitely something that, you know, kind of sent me home and looking on the internet for language. Yes. I wanted to understand that kid. I just saw something in that kid that I, I couldn't quite place my finger on it. And you know what? I get it now. Right. I see myself in that kid and I, yeah. I wish I would have had the language and the bravery to, to, be a truer version of, of myself with regard to my gender and my sexuality. Um, I mean, I've been true to myself in so many ways and I'm, you know, we're proud of, of the life I've lived and, and all the adventures and all the people that I've loved. And, uh, you know, I don't have regrets. I don't look at it like that, but I do think that having that language and having yeah. the courage together is, is what's allowing, um, you know, more people to come out. I mean, coming out late in life, was horrifying because basically people already have their preconceived notions of who you are yeah, and, and they only know you in that one way. And that's not their fault. That's just the circumstance. Right. And, and they, they now have an opportunity to view you differently. And yes. the best case scenario is that they still see you for who you yes. are and that that, that doesn't affect, you know, how they feel about you or how they view you. And I, I will say in, in this day and age, just compared to maybe when I was 14 or 15 living in West Virginia, it feels a lot easier to be brave. And, mm. uh, and, and I'm glad to, you know, glad to know that for all the, the queer kids out there that maybe they won't have to all wait so long to be truer to themselves. Wow. It's so it's so unfair that that trans boy um, had to had to be your mentor. It's it's funny the way <laughs> the way that cross generational learning happens. Yes, uh, and it's very humbling. It is. You talk yeah. about also your mentors being younger than you, and I just think, I mean, ten years, fifteen years is enough of a gap to yes. have provided a safer place and a safer society for them to come out. And, um, and for me, I also was geographically kind of sheltered in West Virginia and just didn't, there just, there wasn't anybody that, I mean, it is it, a very like kind of singular population where I grew up and, and, um, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I grew up not being ageist for sure because there is a, a wide swath of, of age of people in the old time community yeah. around me. And, um, you know, I remember the first time that, 
that I saw a person of color playing old time music, I was like, wow, where, where are the others? Where are they? And the first time I, you know, I met queer people in the old time community, I'm like, oh, are there more? You know, because it, it feels like this kind of very singular, um, very white and very cis gendered and hetero kind of community, though liberal, you know, sure. compared to, to, to some other, you know, trad scenes, I'm sure. Um, I've always felt that the old time community has been, been you know kind of a lot of hippies out there and yeah no one ever judged me coming from the holler of west virginia and you mm. know when i came out a couple years ago no one judged me for that either and i mm. i would like to to think that as much work as we all have to do on ourselves to to address all the the oppression that we either have learned or we've experienced or you know, as we move through the world to make it a better place, we have to kind of look at ourselves and address those things. I have real hope that the world is doing that right now. And that for the next generation of, of queer kids um, and people of color who want to play old time music, that it is the most open and inviting community that they truly feel safe being themselves in. Yeah, me too. I mean, honestly, I would say at the end of the day, that's the main reason I, I came out publicly, not specifically just for the old time community, because I feel hopeful about that community as well, at least in terms of like queer representation. I think there's still like a pretty intense battle to make it be a safe place for black people specifically, yeah. uh, as well as other non-white people. Um, yeah. And uh, ultimately... I think it means that a lot of white people need to leave <laughs> and and maybe come back when they're ready. Uh, and I'm doing some of <laughs> that work in my relationships with people uh -huh. um, when it comes to that, which is painful and makes me feel strange things. But f as far as like queer acceptance and like representation and like uh, visibility um, in my own life, you know, I, I, I came out to my dad the day before I came out online. I was not planning on coming out on the internet to people in general. Uh, it, I mean, maybe eventually, but I, not that day. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I came out to my dad the day before and, and, and I told him like, part of the reason I'm, I'm telling you this is because you have, another chance um, to do some work to figure this stuff out so that when my kids express anything that's queer, even if that's not maybe their identity, but if they queer space in any way, there's a, there's a very patronizing Christian idea of the aphorism, aphorism, uh, love the sin or hate the sin. You know, mm -hmm. this idea like, we will accept you even though you're disgusting, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I don't think my dad feels that way necessarily, but that's like it at its core. That's the idea. When they read stories about Jesus hanging out with sex workers and other like marginalized people, they read that as Jesus is, is being so loving by hanging out with these disgusting people. And I always read those stories as Jesus thinks these people, these people are beautiful and he is mm -hmm. celebrating with these people their 
uh, w- with them on their terms, not uh, elevating them out of their situation or out of their identities. Like they, right. he's he's celebrating with them. That's like this. I, I really think that that's what the story is at its at its core, and what the character of Jesus is at its core. That's what I always read it as, and. When I read those stories, looking back on it, um, that's it's so clear to me. Uh, and so I said, I said to my dad, like, you have an opportunity. You have grandkids uh, who will be going through puberty soon, and even before that, maybe like uh, expressing things that maybe aren't part of your paradigm. You have a chance right now to to do some work and be ready to celebrate with them and love them through like joy as opposed to tolerance. And wouldn't you rather do that? Doesn't that sound like a much better way to like interact with your family? Um, And in general, you know, I, I want to come out because there are people in my life who are incentivized to like and respect me. Um, because I already have a relationship with them or they already have an idea of me that they want to protect. And if I say something like, um, I'm queer and it's, and it's threatening to their paradigm, they have more incentive to change their paradigm so that they can continue to like and respect me. Um, then maybe just some random person. Or if I say something like white people need to pay white people who play the banjo need to pay reparations to black Americans. Now, if I say something like that, there of course will be many people who, uh, will hate me for saying that. Uh, and then there are a lot of people in my, already in my echo chamber who are like right there with you. There's also going to be a ton of people who are in that middle space who are like, you know, I like you for these other reasons. And you said something that's threatening to me uh, and makes me feel implicated and uncomfortable. Uh, Maybe this is something, but I respect you. And maybe this is something that's worth uh, thinking about a little bit more. Um, I'm just trying to like, uh, weaponize is a... uh, (laughs) is an aggressive way to talk about it, but it's the best word that I can think of at the moment. I'm trying to weaponize my privilege and my, my place in my communities and try to give people a reason to really do some work on themselves. Yeah. I think that's, that is the work um, that the majority can, can do. The majority has to speak up for the minority, right? Minority yes. speaks up all the time, and it's so often the minority speaking up for the other minorities. Yes, and it really it it takes the people from the majority saying something because that's it's their words that reach the majority. Yes, you know the minorities' cries fall on deaf ears for far too long. So it, right, yeah. so I you're using your platform basically as as leverage to expand people's um, opinions and viewpoints and knowledge and people they love and care about that that people they love and care about can be queer i think it's beautiful that's awesome it's really brave and it's it's really meaningful um that reason to do it because right like you said you could just like never say anything at all and keep that to yourself but it there's no leverage in that and it doesn't it doesn't elevate the topic and it doesn't get people to think yeah right on cameron thanks (laughs) 
I, I, I still feel good about it at the moment, but I don't think I've necessarily encountered all of the repercussions yet. Let's check back in after the next family reunion that I go to. Oh, my. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, let's check in after the next tune replay. Oh, <laughs> I've been thinking about it while you played and like, I want to take it all back. <laughs> Um, shall I play my favorite G tune of all time, the heel and toe polka? Oh, I wish you would. Okay. I can't remember if I played this on the last episode that we did together or not, but it is absolutely my favorite. Like I, I've definitely been drawn to the happy dorky variety of fiddle tunes yes. more than any other kind. And, and maybe within the context of this conversation, we'll just call them like the gayest tunes. <laughs> Camp. <laughs> <laughs> I have some things to say about camp after this, by the way. Yeah. A little bit of heel and toe polka.
<laughs> that tune is gay culture. <laughs> it absolutely is. You you're making you're reminding me of well, I think I said this the first time I interviewed you that I think when I met you it was at the it was at Clifftop in the banjo contest and you played Angeline the Baker or Angelina Baker for the banjo contest. And I was like, that was really interesting. I was like, first of all, I love that. That sounded great. And second of all, why did you choose that tune? And you said something to the effect of, um, uh, what, ex- what did you say? You said something about like, I chose this tune because I knew that it wouldn't win. <laughs> <laughs> right. I and, threw the contest. <laughs> and, and I think... That was one of my first exposures to um, to a label that I have now, thanks to my my now dear friend Nick Garris, uh, Queer Petulance, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I think is such a lovely idea. Um, and now, like looking back on that moment retroactively, I was just like, "This is like so lovely that you like you grew up in the culture. You're from West Virginia. You, like you grew up playing the music." And you're like so steeped in it and you go up to, <laughs> you do the contest and you play, yeah, like you said, like uh, one of the gayest tunes. You're or like a dorky, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> thing that like would disqualify, maybe to even disqualify you from the contest because of the right. nature of that specific tune. I think and- that was the idea that time. I mean, I, I do have a belief that like we should participate in the contests because there's so much of what makes the festival viable. Yeah, um, yeah, but absolutely. I don't think that I believe in the competitive nature of this music. I mean, I don't think that's what it it is for me. Um, and I remember, I mean, as a kid, you know, I was in fiddle contests from time to time, just kind of like put in that situation, and I never really found it very satisfying because it's such an individual sport versus the team playing that I think old time music is, you know, at its core. Um, so, and I, I don't, I'm sure I couldn't have articulated that as a child, but, but now I kind of look at what old time music means to me and what the community, um, is. I just don't think that competition for me is part of it. That being said, yes. I, I do, I, I do occasionally win and I, I always feel really very awkward about it. I, you know, last year at Clifftop, there was the gay sweep, right? The hashtag yes, gay the sweep. Gay sweep. Um, and I was in the winning band for the Neo Trad contest. Um, so I, I was part of that gay sweep, which was awesome. But I, I always had these mixed feelings. I'm like, yay, we win. And, you know, then it's like, oh, but all these other people didn't win. And there's this internal conflict about that. And, um, yes, I mean, the internal conflict could probably be the topic of this episode. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. you know, just with reference to you not wanting to take up space, right? Yes. I just absolutely. feel that, that I, I have that kind of intuition when it comes to competition. I don't want to take up the space. Um, I don't want to, right, I, I feel it's important to just... It's not why I play the music, you know, I don't, it's not why I came out either to take up the space or to, yes, to even like, you know, be representation, though I've come to find out the importance of that. And now I'm, I'm much more open about talking, you know, about my queerness yes. because it, it is a matter of providing representation for people. And, um, I guess I just, 
when I came out, I was just still so nervous about it. And, and I don't know if you've experienced this, you know, with your, your kind of Christian upbringing, but there is this, for myself, there's been this sort of like um, self-loathing and shame associated with, with the feelings that I've had to just kind of, I mean, I'm not homophobic at all, except to myself. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, so it's an interesting, you know, kind of, um, it's an internal conflict that, right, would actually be likened to me trying to compete in a contest. Yes. (laughs) I just don't feel like I'm, you know, I I, I don't want to win, but I don't want to lose. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a bit of comparison there, perhaps. It's funny that you remember that meeting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think about it all the time. That was I. That may have been my first year, and I and it left an impression on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, maybe at that point in time, um, I wasn't in a position to you know a, a platform position as a musician to where anybody might have even known who was on the stage playing. I mean, I, you know with all the years of playing and some recordings and playing on other people's recordings and just showing up every year to the festival scene. Um, you know, now I guess Rachel Liddy can be a, a recognizable name and, and I teach at a lot of camps. Um, and I know you had some things you wanted to say about camps and I would just say that, um, having that platform now has made it easier to come out because everyone knows now um, who I am, but they get to just learn who I am all over again. And that seems yes. kind of exciting. Um, while, <laughs> while also realizing that I haven't changed the person that I am. And, and maybe that is one of the nice things about coming out later is that people see that it, your sexuality, your gender expression or identity, they don't actually change who the person is at their core. I'm still the person who's going to say, come on into my camp you want a snack? You want to play some tunes? Hear some water? How you doing? Yeah. You know, whatever that is. And that person that I am is inherently the same and will always be. Are you cisgendered? Um, <laughs> uh, no, yeah. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> In my case, that's the question. That's that, what I asked, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, God, thanks for the blueberries. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, I mean, I've been working through that myself. And, and I definitely... Um, uh, you know, you're like I said earlier in the interview, you're definitely an easy person to talk to. And there was something that you had said, you know, at some point in the past that made me think that you would be a safe person to talk to about that mm. and um, and to question about it. Because, again, I, I'm certain that I was still looking for language. And sometimes the, the search for language is also wrapped up in the practice of speaking to somebody who's an yeah. ally. And, and I think like practicing the language isn't just enough to know it. Um, and even how, like guess how it might identify with me. Um, speaking just kind of gives some solid matter to the, the point. It's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Th- speaking and thinking are uh, for, for some people at least, they they happen at the same time and they need to 
And uh, I often end up listening to myself and learning from the things that happen to be coming out of my mouth. Um, sometimes the things I learn are wonderful. <laughs> and sometimes they aren't, you know, but like, uh, I was like, oh, I didn't know that I was thinking uh, that um, thing about my own identity or, oh, I forgot that I'm uh, that I'm racist in this way <laughs> or whatever, you know, and it's like. You talk and then you're like, oh, that's actually what I'm thinking. Oh, shoot. <laughs> like, right. Now what to do? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I, I'm always there like a moment when you either spoke it and realized it or just like kind of when you knew you were by, was it like a, an aha moment in that way? Like, oh, I didn't know I was by <laughs> or I didn't know I was thinking that. Did, did that happen organically in that way or? I had, I had a conversation, it was a few conversations and one was a conversation I had with Drew Nager. I was sort of like processing some of these ideas, like about like, well, maybe I'm attracted to these people or, and he said, oh, it sounds like maybe you're a, a, a pansexual. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't even know what that means. That's, that sounds like a really intense word. I don't know if I want to identify with that. <laughs> like, let's, let's put that on the shelf. Like, um, put a pin in it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't necessarily like, I don't know. I'm still, I like the word queer because it just gets to be whatever it needs to be. Um, yeah. and my impression is that like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you could like correct me about this. But my impression is that saying that you're bisexual means that you're only attracted to binary expressions of gender or binary Fair gender enough. identities. Correct. And right. uh, I, I don't think that's true for myself. <laughs> um, so I had that conversation with Drew Nager. And then in the conversation I had with you, where I talked about like getting crushes on old time boys. And you're like, oh, it sounds like you're queer. And I, I remember being like... And like, yeah. sort of like having like a quick inhale of breath and being like, I don't know if I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that at this point. Throw um, your blueberries I, back at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's because it, I remember thinking like, hey, I just said I had crushes on boys sometimes. I didn't say I was queer. And then like thinking back through my thought process about that and being like, you essentially repeated. I said, I, I was talking to you and you repeated back to me. Uh, sounds like you're queer, you know, but I didn't use that word. And I was like, well, the label, I don't know about the label. And yeah, I think, I think that was a bit of an aha moment where you're saying, um, the things you're feeling aren't, um, you're not in a, you're not, a, you're not feeling them in a vacuum. Uh, you're not alone. Um, the things you're feeling other people feel and you get to experience connection with other people. Um, even if you're not having sexual connections with other people, you get to experience connection with other people in your queerness and that gets to be valid and a valid expression of queerness. Even if I'm in a uh, heterosexual marriage. So, um, and I think that was an important moment for me too. So thanks. <laughs> I'm honored. No, you're you're totally welcome. I, I I got a lot out of that conversation too. I mean, that was one of those conversations where I think the the talking and the thinking happened kind of simultaneously and, and very fluid. And I remember being completely exhausted 
after the conversation, as I'm sure you probably were too, but, um, you know, just trying to, I mean, I, I will say that, you know, we, we've hung out on just a, you know, good handful of occasions since we've met and, and it's always felt really, um, meaningful. You're a very present person and you're also one that kind of defies what you outwardly appear to be, which is, you know, um, a white straight cis male. So I just always kind of wondered if, I mean, the reason I asked you was partially because I was exploring my own gender identity, but also because, um, you know, you, the way you are with people is so contrary to what you appear to be on the outside Hmm. that I thought you might have some insight as to how to, how to reckon with that. Right. Like how I also appear on the outside is not necessarily true to, how sure. I am on the inside and those things are starting to become more in line with each other. And, and what I've ultimately um, come to feel is that, it, you know, it, I saw, I saw this meme the other day. It said, um, if being gay were a choice, I would choose to be much gayer. And, uh-huh. <laughs> right. And I was like, <laughs> if, if being queer were a choice, I actually would choose to be much queer because the, the more, time I spend in this space, um, in my body as it is Mm. without altering it with a razor, for example, or without, um, performatively wearing clothing that I don't feel comfortable in without, um, you know, constantly being gendered one way and being allowed to be more fluid with my gender and and having people use they, them pronouns with me and, and having that feel really, much freer the more i'm able to just be in that queer space and grow into it the more normal i feel Mm. and and it's not like i feel great or being queer is fantastic it actually just feels normal and right (laughs) and i think that for me that's been the (laughs) most overwhelmingly wonderful feeling is um it's not like i feel freer or i feel there's just nothing about it that is anything other than I actually just really feel very grounded and normal in my expression and in my life, my connections with people. I, I don't feel like there's anything that I want to hide at this point. And, and I can't imagine, you know, anybody that cares about me finding any of that strange, but I suppose if they did, um, you know, that's something that they would have to sort out and I'm not going to give up my, newfound feelings of of being normal in my in who yeah. I am and how I present to the world um for anything because it, it's really yeah. meaningful to have uh, to have that and and there are a lot of people lots and lots and lots and lots of people inside the old time community and outside of it who don't have that uh, that freedom to just yes be who they are without fear of repercussion and um so you know and and coming to that place on my own, you know, in these last couple of years, I'm also able to leverage it like you're hoping to do and and provide a platform and a safe space to, to talk to people. And, um, I think it's really important that you're doing Mm -hmm. it as well. Cause right. Even before you came out, I knew you were someone I, an ally, you know, somebody that I could talk to. And, um, yeah, I think you're really special cam. You too, Rachel. And now we're family, family in a whole other way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, will you like? Can can we play another tune? Yeah. What do you want to play? Do you 
Um, let's see. How about an 18? Sounds good. Okay. I'll do um, this great eagle. It's a Griegel tune that I like to play. funny you know i have a, i'm playing a cross tune fiddle right now and and for for a lot of folks who who know me um they'll know that i have not actually played cross a before hmm. um, i have i just learned how to play i played for so many years before anybody introduced the idea 
of cross tuning for A that I was like, well, why would I do that? I can play an A without it. And I could make the fiddle sound like it needed to and, you know, pinky power and all of that. So that in itself is just queer. I mean, the yeah. fact that I just never cross-tuned my fiddle, <laughs> that was one of those many, many signs looking back on my life. Yeah. Um, and so during the <laughs> pandemic here, actually, I've had all this extra time, and um, I just recently got a, another fiddle that I really love. So I have two fiddles that I love a lot, and I didn't want to leave one in the box. So um, I yeah. just decided to like kind of venture into cross-tuning it. I mean, yeah, it's way easier, and it's yeah. got a lot of really <laughs> nice sounds and tones to it. But, right, just, just the fact that I never did that um should have been a big warning sign <laughs> so many warning signs i mean if i were just like as i kind of look back on my life i'm like oh i mean right like how how did it take so long to <laughs> to to get to where i am and and really i mean the, the short of it is just all the things we've been saying kind of like lack of representation inside of the community that we love the old-time community and and not to say that people aren't accepting, because I, I would say that by and large they are. There just aren't. There's not enough visibility to make it easy. Yes. You know, and to feel like it's a, you know, it's something worth. Um, I mean, there are all sorts of other reasons in my life that we should save for another uh, episode called therapy, and you know, yes. <laughs> let that let those sleeping dogs lie. But uh, it does feel good. I gotta say, like just being able to come out mm. in the last couple of years and just obviously being embraced by the community and, um, and having a spouse who also loves old time music. Mm. It's, it's a really, yeah, it feels really good. Good. So. Yeah. You're making me think of, uh, yeah. Another, another intersection of sort of queerness with tradition. I've come to realize, uh, as Benjamin Smith of Old Time Central would say, that old time music is anti-canonical, um, and that there is this concentration on, um, in general, Appalachian old time music in a certain area of Appalachia, um, or a few certain areas. But like what old time string band music means across the continent, you know, is like. Obviously, there's something related there, but it's like very different and the rules are different wherever you go. And, you know, maybe it's queer for you to um, uh, never learn to cross tune in West Virginia, but it would be queer for a, uh, a Midwestern fiddler, you know, like in Illinois um, or in Minnesota to do a lot of cross tuning. Um, the tune, those traditional tunes that you wouldn't do that on. Got you know, it. And like... Yeah, it's like um, there there are all of these contradictory, fluid sets of rules, and um, there's there's a fair amount of <laughs> the queerness is like and and the like everything is up for negotiation and and as long as you consent, it's fine. You know, like all that stuff is there for the taking within the banner of old time. Um, and then you add in like uh, bearers of the tradition and people who are moving it forward and people who are writing new tunes that could become canonized and et cetera. But, uh, there, there is always been a tension in my playing of the music as someone specifically who didn't grow up playing it mm-hmm. of, um, am I being traditional enough? 
Am I engaging in the right ways? Am I do? Am I being disrespectful in the way that I'm like literally playing my banjo? You know, and I've I've struggled with that a lot. Um, and I had this one experience kind of kind of recently, like a few months ago, uh, in the old, <laughs> in the old time music shit posting group on Facebook, um, where early on in the like after the cons- conception of the group um someone said uh mark o'connor is to the blues as cameron duet is to old-time music and <laughs> it was that. this video <laughs> yeah it was this video of mark o'connor mark o'connor taking um asserting that what he was doing with his words that this is like a very authentic blues playing and then taking the most colonial possible like uh white like (laughs) blues solo and and it's his video that he posted and the title of it is the most explosive blues violin solo or whatever like that and i was like wow this is like uh a heartbreaking burn to receive (laughs) you know like uh and uh, i i did take it personally because it's something that i was already struggling with which is I have my own personal relationship with my own specific object of my instrument and the way that I play it with people. Um, but then there's also capital T tradition. Um, and sometimes those are intention. And I was processing <laughs> my feelings, my complicated feelings uh, with Nick Garris about like that shit post about me. And, and he said, first of all, you're not Mark O'Connor. <laughs> like, like that's, He's so diplomatic that's not and sweet. G- yeah. <laughs> and I was saying, but there is a part of me that wants to be dorky, that wants to take up space and wants to do things that aren't necessarily um, precedented or that there's not a specific space in the tradition carved out for. Uh, I have these things that I want to do in the moment. And sometimes I look back on them and say, wow, I'm so glad I did that. And other times I'm like, that was a little much. And and he said, well, maybe you are bringing camp to the banjo. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, this is a queer idea, um, specifically like explored in, um, I mean, I'm sure it's been explored in other areas too, but in, in drag culture, uh, which is... He ex- he ex- <laughs> described camp as being the conscious decision to do something that is distasteful because you want to do it. Um, and I was like, and he's like, maybe you're just like queering the banjo by like uh, bringing camp to it by doing that. And I was like, oh my goodness, like what a, what an idea that <laughs> is is freeing ultimately it doesn't mean that i always want to bring camp to the banjo or that i always want to play in a campy way but it means that um it's like yeah it's like what if it's a way it was like sort of a way to validate my holistic identity in my expression in the music um and and also it was a way to to subvert the the patriarchal structures of um, old time and 
when I think back about the people who have gate kept me, mm-hmm. um, who have criticized me for my playing uh, without my consent, w- without me asking for advice, uh, they're they're almost entirely. Uh, almost entirely white, almost entirely as far as like they're cis cis male presenting, and they for some reason feel just so authoritative on like what the tradition is and what it needs to not be in the future and what my role in that arc of the tradition is, and it was so so like validating to have that conversation with Nick. And then I also, on a similar note, I had this conversation. Well, it was my interview with Paul Brown in Australia for Get Up in the Cool. And who, at the time, I did not know that he was queer. Right. Um, And I did not know that I was queer. And he's one of those other people who, after talking to him, he's like, oh, yeah, I did suspect that you were queer. (laughs) Maybe yep. it's because I'm wearing the shirt that I'm wearing now. <laughs> yes. Um, when I interviewed <laughs> Maybe. I was going to say um, something about that, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice color uh, choice. Audio medium. <laughs> <laughs> but um, first of all, like he complimented me on my playing, which is something that ultimately will be a shield from any criticism. Because like, if anyone is is an authority, it's Paul Brown. <laughs> sure thing. So that was like really lovely and important for me. And I like hold that kind of like really close, but also he, you know, he, he had a lot to say about like, um, how important it is that tradition is, uh, uh, is fluid and that tradition is about individuals, um, playing at least for music, the music tradition we're in, it's about individuals playing with each other and affecting each other. Um, and, uh, individual expressions and our communal sort of consent or sometimes subversion, um, or descent, a descent about like what becomes canonized and what becomes like respected as part of the tradition. And it was like a really powerful idea for me too. And, uh, yeah, and then since talking to him and realizing that he's like also queer and has been queer in this music for longer than most people. Um, and uh, I don't know. I just, it gave me, it made me feel, it made me feel a lot more brave uh, than I was. Yeah. And uh, I'm really grateful to That's him. That's so valuable, that. isn't it? That Yeah that sort of that piece to hold on to whatever it is you know we're grasping at straws out here sometimes but that straw to grab onto that that is bravery and also um the mentor just to tie it all back to the the front of the conversation having mentors of of any age um you know people who are brave enough to kind of set the tone and um, make it safe for others to join in the course. And I think that Paul is, Paul is one of the most beautiful and inclusive human beings and gentle souls that I have ever met in all my life. That's, mm. a, that's yeah, that's super. And of course, authoritative in the music and, and his point about it evolving, you know, it, it is fluid just like people yeah. are. Yeah. 
we're not static. You know, the music yeah. is not static and, and we all evolve, you know, whether <laughs> some people need to evolve quicker, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> but the world is evolving, you know, and yeah, and I'm, I have no doubt that, I mean, a hundred years ago, um, women were not allowed to play the fiddle, you know, cause it was right. too authoritative of a instrument to, so we were relegated to, you know, playing rhythm and backup instruments and, sure. and that has moved forward. And I mean, they're just, maybe the hope is that someday none of it even matters and people don't have to, don't have to bother coming out in order to, yes. to be seen, you know? Yes. I mean, I, you know, that's I, a lovely idea. It's a lovely idea. But until that day, we have to come out and we have to be seen so that other people feel like they can come out and be seen to you yes. and we can all mentor each other. I, I just think it's, um, yeah, it's important that, to create the platform for the subversive culture in the subversive music we play. Yeah. <laughs> come Absolutely. On. Right. I mean, old time is just is kind of queer. It's punk. Yeah. Little queer, you know, it's um it's got a <laughs> it's got a little queerness to it. All those banjos, you know, f- four and a half strings. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yes. Yes. But before we play this last tune in the episode proper, uh I'm going to like take back the host reins for a second and say yes, like how do we keep up with you in this strange time of, of quarantine where you're always on the road, except now you are never on the road, never on <laughs> the so, road. Yeah. <laughs> How, what do we do to like hear more of your music and sure. support your music? Thanks. So um, my website, which is in sore need of an update, rachelettymusic.com. I mean, I really need to update it. I haven't updated the pronouns or, or the, the bio in a very long time. So maybe that's something I should do with all this time not spent on the road. Um, but you can always email me through the website if, if anyone's interested in lessons or um, you know anything of the type or gigs once that kind of resumes. Um, yes. I have a couple of CDs that I think you can buy from iTunes. Um, or app, you know, some one of the downloadable formats, and uh, and then my spouse and I are during the pandemic hosting a weekly Thursday night jam, seven thirty um, Eastern Standard Time, and we're just playing for an hour, like tunes, fiddle and bass, and people can play along at home, and that's been a really, um, it's been an awesome thing to do because it's it's been in a way to kind of stay connected to the community while I'm not yes. traveling. I mean, I you know, I miss I miss all the fiddle camps and I miss the festivals and I miss my, my community a bunch. And I know everybody else is feeling that loss. Yeah. Um, so we're just doing this jam to kind of just stay connected to people and, you know, let y'all know that like still here, going to see you again one of these days, uh, working on, you know, trying to figure out what to do for a, a recording project. I, I need to do it while I'm sitting around, not doing anything. Yes. And, um, that in itself is, is a bit of a conundrum because, you know, I, I feel like um, I'm working on a project right now with my spouse, Emily, who is an environmental lawyer and writing this book about um, uh, about basically people revolting in Appalachia to protect the environment, you know, kind yes. of filling holes where the law doesn't protect them and yeah. um, protests uh, in, in those areas. And historically, how it's related to a lot of women 
being the ones who are protesting. And currently there are tree sitters in Virginia protecting um, this area where the pipeline wants to go through. And so I have this, um, we have a joint project going where I'm trying to write some fiddle tunes and name them each after a character, you know, real life character or a species that were endangered or yes. somehow tied all into this book project. So that's something that is a little more longer term that I'm working on. And, and then the only thing else I can come up with is like sitting around listening to old folk songs being like, this is still relevant. Listening to, you know, sounds of silence, be like, oh my God, this is still relevant. Listen to yes. Bob Dylan. I'm like, oh, it's still relevant. So part of me just wants to like do a whole album of covering folk songs that are still relevant and be like, oh my God, people, we've been saying these things yeah. for so long. Like why, <laughs> why have we not moved farther ahead, you know, and progressed more as as a country yeah. and, uh, you know, as humanity, blah, blah, blah. So that's like my kind of pipe dream as I sit around here, not touring. And, um, and otherwise you can find me in my backyard where I've been digging up the, the grass and planting vegetables. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but available for lessons online and, and jams and, you know, whatever I can do from home for now. And, and really looking forward to seeing people in person as soon as I can. Thank you so much for doing this. It was really lovely. Thank you for inviting to me. You. I, Yes. I just I love to I love to talk to you and I, I love to to listen you know to your thoughts because right it is how we can evolve is to talk to each other you know and listen yeah. to each other and I, I think that um, I'm always happy to participate in that activity with somebody um, is it who's interesting and, and thoughtful like yourself and um, yeah I hope it you know maybe it'll hit somebody's ears and in, in this conversation and they'll be like oh wait. I'm queer too. And, <laughs> and there's my people out there who knows, yeah. you know, or at the very least, um, you know, next time people see us after they hear this, they'll be like, Oh, right. It's just Rachel and Cameron. Same yeah. folks that they've always been. Yes. Know? So, um, for a last tune. Yeah. Do you have any particular requests? Oh, uh, do you still have that cross a, I do. It would be nice to do some something like some sort of modal tune. We haven't done any anything like that. Doesn't mean it can't be dorky, but like Ways of the World. Do you like Ways of the World? Sure. Yeah. Might be a nice Let's tie together this conversation. Absolutely. Gaze of the world. I mean Ways of the World. <laughs> Thank you. 
Check out Rachel's website to contact them for lessons, book them for shows, and buy their albums. That's at racheleddymusic.com, and you can subscribe to their YouTube channel and join them for online jams every Thursday night. I hope you all come to Porch Pride. It's June 27th and 28th, and our sets are both on the 27th. You can watch on the Bluegrass Pride Facebook page, YouTube channel, or website so you can see the whole bill or just watch on our individual Facebook pages. You can support Get Up In The Cool at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. Order a t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up In The Cool's Teespring store. Make sure to like and follow Get Up In The Cool on Facebook so you can see the video I posted from this episode and share it with everyone you know. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional banjo series. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set. It's available in all the same places as Get Up in the Cool. And everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week for the start of the next 200 episodes of Get Up in the Cool. 